0: It is great to be back with you again this morning. I'm going to encourage you to go ahead and open up your Bibles to the book of Habakkuk, and we're going to be in those three chapters. And while you're doing that, uh, I wanted to be able to start off um, and tell you about my high school days as a wrestler. Boy, yeah, I know it is funny. I, I it, it is. It's kind of tough to kind of say it was a career. That's for sure. But I wrestled for three years, and while I wrestled for three years, I wrestled at the 98-pound weight class. I did. Um, I was five foot four when I started as a freshman, and uh, then I grew to five foot eleven by my sophomore year. And I weighed 95 pounds as a freshman, and I gained a whopping three pounds after I grew seven inches. Uh, I was skinny, okay? But because of my uh, competitive nature and desire to try to excel at something that I felt kind of gypped off or ripped off about from having played baseball and football and basketball earlier in my life, all my friends were going whoop. And I was just staying really small at that time. And then when I went whoop, I lost all that coordination and all that speed and and everything else that I used to depend on for athletics. So uh, a PE coach freshman year said, wow, um, I I think you'd be a good wrestler. Now you're talking about a guy who couldn't even, (laughs) gosh, this is so embarrassing. Um, Everybody else would lift weights in the weight room. I would lift the bar, and that's the truth. I would rep the bar, and um, then we'd put on like five-pound weights and maybe 10-pound weights. Um, I was only lifting 90 pounds. I couldn't even lift my own weight, all right? I, I, there was just no muscle, okay? And uh, while I was wrestling, uh, I could beat anyone on my team at our school, on the Froschsoft team, and, the, and then the JV team the next couple years, except for one guy. His name was Rodney Nishihara. And uh, as I grew taller, it seemed like Rodney grew shorter. But he didn't, but he definitely grew wider, and he was muscular. And so um, I, I could battle him really good for the first uh, period. And then uh, maybe I could battle him okay in the second period if I got to start off on top. Because wrestlers, you have to kind of choose. One starts on the bottom and the other person is on top. You put your hand right above their elbow and your other hand on their belly and then you, you go again for this next period. But if every time I would have to be on the bottom, it was armbar, armbar, step over, and I was, I was done, I was pinned. He was just so strong. And it, it was frustrating. Um, one time when, when Rodney was wrestling JV, uh, and I was doing a wrestle-off, because that's what you did in your team. It's like, hey, okay, I want this position, so you got to challenge people. And uh, I, I wrestled a guy, and he separated my shoulder in the first period. And I kept wrestling, because I, this was my chance. I was so tired of, of always losing to Rodney. And I beat him. For the next two periods, I wrestled him one-armed. And he was trying to take that shoulder and just mm, crank it. But I beat him. But I didn't get to wrestle against another school that week because I was out for the next six weeks <laughs> with a separated shoulder. <laughs> um, but then uh, I had the opportunity. I came back, and I, uh, I say I miraculously got, to, miraculously got to wrestle in a dual meet. Because I didn't beat Rodney, but because he got an opportunity to wrestle varsity. Our varsity wrestler was injured. And so I finally got to wrestle in a dual meet. I was like, yes. And uh, I I was so excited uh, to wrestle against someone from another school. uh, That is until uh, the weigh-ins. I had no problem making weight. But this other guy was shorter than Rodney. And he was more muscular than Rodney. And I thought, oh, no. And so I started getting psyched out. I wrestled him. First period, I had a takedown. I was like, okay, I can do this. I'm in on this. And at the end of the first period, you know, they kind of say, okay, do you want up or down to to the opponent? He said, I'll take up. (laughs) Same thing, man. Arm bar, arm bar, step over. And it was like, ah. So wrestling was difficult. It was hard. But I really believe that it helped me and prepared me for future opponents I would face. Um, Opponents like uh, losing my father when I was a senior in high school. Or losing a girlfriend that I was very much in love with who moved out of the state two days after our high school graduation. Or the opponents uh, of insecurity. Really wrestled with insecurity during high school, or of loneliness, or of doubt, and faith questions. I wasn't a believer when I was in high school. So those opponents have have been difficult, have been a struggle, but I really believe that through the experience of wrestling and trying to persevere, um, God was preparing me. Uh, for those and for others. And I know that each of you have had your own wrestling uh, matches, haven't you? You've all, uh, some of your opponents uh, may be similar to mine, or some of your uh, opponents may be way different from mine, but you've still, I believe, had a lot of wrestling matches. I think we're all wrestling with someone Or something today we're gonna look at at, uh, the prophet who wrestled with God and who I believe came out victorious his name's Habakkuk you know that you just saw the video so I'm gonna ask you if you open up your Bibles there again Um, grab a Bible located in front of you Um, he he, uh, is located right after the book of Nahum where uh, Tim Nugent preached last week and it's right before the book of Zephaniah. It's only three chapters. Again, as we're in the minor prophets, a lot of times they're, they're small books. But uh, as you turn there, Habakkuk was a, a contemporary of Nahum and Zephaniah and, and even Jeremiah, three other prophets. He was involved uh, in the reigns of both King Josiah uh, Josiah was was in uh, place as a king of Judah in uh, between 640 and 609 BC, and Jehoiakim, who was then followed his father in 609 through roughly 588, somewhere right around in there. The book was probably written sometime uh, around the time frame of 612 and, and 588, and, and we'll, we'll see why in, in a few minutes. But it's really unique. And man, I, I got to quit popping because I know I'm killing you guys. It's really unique in the sense that, uh, unlike other prophets who declared God's message to the people, this prophet Habakkuk dialogued with God about the people. There's a difference there. Uh, one scholar, uh, Ron Blue, points out that most Old Testament prophets proclaimed. Divine judgment. Habakkuk pleaded for divine judgment. He pleaded for it. And it kind of lets you see where where he was at. Uh, Under Josiah, King Josiah, there was revival. There was excitement. In 2 Kings chapter 22, we find that the king had come under the throne as an eight year old boy. And then at 16 years of age, He began to seek the Lord. And by 20 years of age, he had purged idolatry from Jerusalem. No small task. In 2 Kings chapter 23, verses 25, it it, it says this about Josiah. No king before or after repented before the Lord as he did with his whole heart, soul, and being in accordance with the whole law of Moses. Pretty nice epitaph, isn't it? But then Josiah died. And his son Jehoahaz became king. And and it says in chapter 23, verse 32, that he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Guess what? He lasted three months. And then Pharaoh Necho from uh, Egypt came and put that dude in chains. And then he instituted another one of Josiah's sons, and made him king of Judah, Jehoiakim. It says he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, just as his fathers, excluding Josiah, of course, had done. And he was king for 11 years, all because Pharaoh Necho said, yeah, you, I want you here, and he was like a puppet. So Habakkuk saw revival during this time and reform under Josiah, as well as corrupt leadership and violence, and injustice under those successors. And because he began to see the perfect holiness of God, on the one hand, he became more and more concerned about the imperfections and sins of God's people. He had a lot of questions. Why is there so much oppression? Why all the injustice? Why do evil men prosper? Why doesn't God do something? Why doesn't... God clean up this mess why 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 don't we wrestle with the same kind of questions today in our society right here in the United States and don't other people probably wrestle with these same kind of questions as well and so Habakkuk was wrestling with some things So today, uh, the three W's, the first one's wrestling. He's wrestling. I know in our video it talks about, hey, he had complaints, but uh, see if you could track with me, and I'm not too far off base on on this. I didn't choose this word just so I could have all W's, and I didn't choose this word just so I could tell you about how horrible of a high school wrestler I was. But I chose it because it it just... uh, I feel like I can relate so much to him. First, Habakkuk wrestled with God's silence. He wrestled with God's silence. In in chapter 1, verse 2, even just the first half of it, he says, How long, O Lord, will I call for help, and you will not hear? How long? You know, I'm reminded of families when they're traveling across country. Maybe it was just my family, but I, I know we're not the only ones because at least I've seen references of it to uh, movies. Uh, when you're traveling on a long car trip, right, and uh, um, one of the kids shouts out in a really whiny voice, what do they shout out? <laughs> How much longer? Right? How much longer? Oh, the same amount of time minus one minute from the last time you asked me. Right? And it's just, oh, how much longer? Or the, are we there yet? If we were there yet, the car would be turned off and dad would be the first one out of there, okay? No, we're not. But, but that's what I was thinking of. And yet Habakkuk is basically saying the th- same thing. Hey, God. Uh. How much longer will you ignore me? Yo, God, how much longer? How long are you going to ignore me? So I want to come back at you. I think you've wrestled with this issue too. Habakkuk's not the only one who feels like God's, God's ignoring him. I, I speak with a lot of people who like, you know, I pray and nothing happens. I ask God, can you reveal yourself in some way big or small? Nothing happens. So I know there's a lot of you out here too who who, who struggle with that or who have struggled with that. So at least you can identify. You feel like God isn't listening. Maybe because he's preoccupied or he's too busy to answer your prayer. Or maybe because you don't even know if you believe that he is even real. There are times when, uh, on, whether it's Facebook or uh, in conversations with people, where I'll see, hey, they don't know what else to say. And I'm talking about unbelievers, right? They don't know what else to say. To say, hey, you know what, I'm lifting you up in prayer. Really? Who are you praying to? I'm just like curious uh, about that. But even unbelievers will will do that a lot of times. Because, well, that's the nice thing to say, isn't it? Isn't that like the expected thing to say? Habakkuk knows God is there. But he is still wrestling with God's silence. Second, Habakkuk uh, wrestled with, with Judas' sinfulness. He really wrestled with Judah's sinfulness. If you look at the second part of verse 2 through verse 4, it says this, I cry out to you violence, yet you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore, the law is ignored. Or in the ESV, it says it's paralyzed. And justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. Man, He is really wrestling with Judah's sinfulness. Again, I believe it's because from the time, in the time frame where God has placed him, I believe he experienced something so exciting seeing a leader unlike the kings before him and unlike the kings after him who fell in love with the Lord, fell in love with the Lord's word when it was discovered in one of the caves. And he was like, oh my goodness, he had it it written up. So then all the people had the opportunity to have the word. And it was like, yes. So I think that, that Habakkuk was just like, oh, wow, this is incredible. And then he also had to endure, uh-oh, we're going right back to how things were before. Look at this, these so-called leaders, they're abusing their power. There's no justice, it's perverted, the law, it's Paralyzed. And the insinuation is because of those people who are in these positions of power, because of their wealth. And Habakkuk is just wrestling with the fact, it's like, man, these people are, God, do something. And, and uh, it's like he's saying, these people are, are evil, God. I'm tired of them. They're pathetic. That's a Cooper translation. Okay, by the way, that's not not in the word. Why do these evil people prosper? God, aren't you going to do something about how bad they are? Can you relate? (laughs) I I can. Are there people in your life that you want God to deal with? And you know what I'm talking about when you want God to deal with them, right? And I just kind of like treat them nicely. You're just like, man, God, will you take care of them, please? And, and, and you just kind of go, maybe it's at your job. I, I've felt that way, and I'm sure I have caused others to feel that way toward me. Right? Both ways. Maybe it's in your family. I know I've felt that way, and I know I have... Uh, caused my family members to feel that way toward me? Maybe it's at the church, right here. Again, both ways. And the next question is, can you trust that God will take care of your situation? Can you trust, really trust that God will take care of it? Habakkuk wrestled with God's silence, and, and then he wrestled with Judah's sinfulness, But then, third, he he wrestled with God's response. (laughs) How do you like that? He's calling out, come on, God, do something. Why aren't you doing anything about it? And God responds, and then look in verses 5 through 6. Look among the nations. This is the Lord. Observe. Be astonished. He's telling Habakkuk, be astonished wonder and then look at what he says because I am doing something in your days you would not believe if you were told <laughs> all of a sudden it's kind of like okay I'm wondering if 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 when Habakkuk's hearing that he's going yeah all right now let's take care of this stuff now you're, you're going to be answering my, my first wrestling and you're going to be responding to me and then you're going to be taking care of this sinfulness because, man, Judah is just messed up. But look what he says in verse 6. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans or Babylonians, that fierce and impetuous people who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. What? what, what, what uh, that's your answer, God? The Babylonians? The Babylonians? Uh, I'm sure he's kind of kind of like starting to do a backtrack. Wait, wait, wait. wait, 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 God, you don't understand. They're worse. They're worse than Judah. I I didn't want you to go there. Right? It's like just take, just kind of take care of Judah. Just take care of them. Don't bring in those guys. I mean, their reputation preceded them. And they ended up Conquering and and making Judah go into exile into Babylon, 586. But look, look at verses 12 through 17, chapter 1. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We will not die. You, O Lord, have appointed them to judge, and you, O Rock, have established them to correct. Your eyes are too pure to approve evil, and you cannot look on wickedness with favor. Now we come back to, here he goes with some more questions. Why do you look with favor on those who deal treacherously? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they? Why have you made men like the fish of the sea, like creeping things without a ruler over them? The Chaldeans, that's the Babylonians, bring all of them up with a hook, drag them away with their net, and gather them together in their fishing net. Therefore they rejoice and are glad. Therefore they offer a sacrifice to their net and burn incense to their fishing net. Because through these things their catch is large and their food is plentiful. Will they... Therefore, empty their net and continually slay nations without sparing? God, this just isn't right. I mean, we, we got a problem here. It's what, it's what Habakkuk's trying to say. He goes from, hey, don't you hear me? How come you're not listening? Man, Judas, it, they're just so horrible. And then it's like, whoa, 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 wait, wait a minute. That, that's not what I wanted. That's not what I expected. I know I do that. I'll ask God for something. He'll give me something totally different. It's like, Whoa, 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 time out. Not, not, I, no, not that. Anything but that. And yet that just seems to be what's going on. It's like he's thinking, how can a holy God use a wicked nation like Babylon to discipline or punish the people of Judah. Can you recall a time in your life or a situation where, where you felt like God completely swung and missed on your request? Sorry, I had to throw a baseball thing in there. I mean, you laid something out before the Lord and in your mind, if you're being honest, you felt like, God, You, wow. How, how did you miss that one? I was a straight fastball. I wanted the Lord to get revenge for me, and he didn't. I wanted the Lord to fix somebody else, and he didn't. I wanted the Lord to change a circumstance so that I would benefit over someone else, and he didn't. So what do we do with that? Well, our, 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 our next W wait we wait that's what habakkuk did chapter 2 verse 1 it says this i will stand on my guard post at my watch or uh, i'm going to read the esv it says i will take away or i will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what i will answer concerning my complaints already spoken twice and and now he's just like okay Uh, um i'm gonna be in the tower and i'm gonna be looking because the person who's on the tower you could see from miles away and you could see uh oh we've got an enemy starting to come and to help prepare the the army and and the people and everything and so that's what he's saying i'm gonna stand up there so i can see god what you're gonna say and how you're going to respond. Habakkuk was basically communicating that, that he would wait with an attitude of expectation, patiently waiting for God's response. I'm going to ask you is waiting easy for you? And instead of saying why or why not, I just went straight to the why not. Okay, come on. Why not? Why not? what can we gain from waiting? And then we wrestle, what can we lose from waiting? So glad when Aaron had us uh, read Psalm 27. I I chose Psalm 40, verses one through three. And even though for many people um, at a time over 20 years ago, uh, contrary to popular belief, you too did not write this psalm. They made it popular. But in verses 1 through 3 of Psalm 40, it says, I waited patiently for the Lord. And he inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay. And he set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. Verse 3, he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear, and I will trust in the Lord. Just as King David, who wrote this psalm, wrote that the Lord put a new song in my mouth, Habakkuk also wrote a song. And that's in chapter 3, which brings us to our our last W. That's worship. Wrestling, waiting, and now worshiping. Habakkuk worshiped God for answering his questions. We don't have time to go back over in chapter 2 how he did that. But our, our, our Bibles say uh, in chapter 3, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet in verse 1. But I, I think, and, and this is just kind of me kind of stepping out there, I think it's more accurate to say that it was probably a song. And musical terms appear in, in chapter 3. Some uh, commentators even wonder if, if Habakkuk even wrote that because it's so different from the first two chapters. But there, there are words, shigenoth and "silla," and, and uh, those are musical terms. And so, um, even in verse 19, it ends. It ends with, for the choir director on my stringed instruments. That's why I believe this was a worship song to God. Follow along with me and read uh, verses 16 through 19, the culmination of everything. And he says, "I heard, and my inward parts trembled. At the sound, my lips quivered. Decay enters my bones, and in my place, I tremble, because I must wait quietly for the day of distress for the people to arise who will invade us." How would you like knowing that information? That all of a sudden, the Lord had revealed to you, yeah, um, I'm not going to deal with uh, uh, Judah just on my own. I'm going to have an instrument, and that instrument is going to be the biggest, baddest, wickedest people on the face of the earth at that time. And God tells that to you, how would you like to be knowing that kind of information right now? God revealed that to you that a certain country is going to come on in and just wipe out the United States of America. I'm just kind of going, wow. He says, Because in verse 16, because I waited quietly for the day of distress for the people to arise who will invade us. Look what else he says though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines though the yield of the olive should fail and the fields produce no food though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls there's not going to be anything it's going to be a hard hard time Look right what he says in the very next verse. Yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. I know we're going to be conquered. And soon. I know we might be dealing with droughts. With no food. With not any provisions whatsoever. Whatever we own, it's going to be taken from us. We will be driven from this land. But he says, I will exalt in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength and he has made my feet like hind's feet or like deer's feet and makes me walk on my high places for the choir director on my string instruments. Habakkuk wrestled with some things and he waited for the Lord's response and and here finally he worshiped God for answering him even though that answer was not what he was hoping for where would you put yourself right now I mean where do you see yourself are, are you wrestling with God are you maybe in, in a waiting period or maybe you're at the point where you have seen and experienced God's presence and you are enjoying being able to trust him because of who he is and you can therefore worship him. You know, we can't leave this great book without looking at, at the key verse in the entire book. And it is a key verse. Chapter 2, verse 4. It says, but the righteous will live by his faith. Some translators say it should not just be faith, but faithfulness. I don't think it changes uh, the impact whatsoever. And this verse is quoted three different times in the New Testament. Once in Romans chapter 1, verse 17. Once in Galatians chapter 3, verse 11. And once in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38. Romans 1:17 says, "For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith." When it's referred to in Galatians, it says, "Now that no one is justifi- uh, that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith." And then finally in Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 38. But my righteous one shall live by faith. That's my alarm. It says I should be done in two minutes. Um, The emphasis in Romans is on the righteous. The emphasis in Galatians is on how they should live. And the emphasis in Hebrews is on by faith. Warren Wiersbe uh, wrote, He said, it takes three books to explain and apply this one verse. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for uh, this prophet, for choosing him, for loving him, reminding us how much you love us, even when we ask difficult questions. Lord, you don't spurn us. You don't reject us. You give us insight. Lord, whether we like those answers or not, that's besides the point. Because our trust is in you, a holy and perfect, all-loving, all-powerful, all-merciful, all-gracious God who longs for relationship with your people. So, Lord, whether we're wrestling or waiting, uh, Lord, I hope that we can all come to a point where we are worshiping you, regardless of our circumstances. And regardless of if and when we will ever hear answers to our questions. Lord may you and you alone be the one that we're drawn to and that we We cling to, we cry to. Because you alone you alone, our Savior, are our, our King. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.